How many are thankful this evening that your sin has been washed away? The Bible says that if you've placed faith in Jesus, that your sin has been put under the blood of Christ. You've been washed clean. You've been made new in Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that this evening. Thank you, brother, for that song. If uh, you will, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter number one is what we're going to be looking at tonight. Um, I do want to welcome you to our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm so glad that each and every one of you are here and you've made the decision to make the study of the Word of God a priority in your life. And uh, I know that the Lord is ready to speak to us if we're ready to listen. So I'm asking you this evening to come with hungry hearts, open minds, ready to receive what the Lord has for you. I don't think it's any accident any of us are here, but by God's sovereign will, He's brought us here to this place to get a hold of His truth and His Word. And uh, can't wait to see what the Lord has for us this evening. And we're just going to dive right into Scripture tonight at the risk of sounding too much like uh, the great Jerry Reed, otherwise known as the snowman. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So uh, my purpose this evening is to go from verse 11 through the end of the chapter, through verse number 24. And I hope we can do that. Uh, but we're going to have to get on it if we do. So Galatians chapter 1, we're going to start there in verse number 11. I told you when we began in the first chapter of the book of Galatians that there was a chapter division after verse number 10. And we spent the last two weeks in verses 1 through 10. If you remember, we said in verses 1 through 3, Paul gives his salutation. And man, what a salutation it is. He tells those believers that grace comes to us and when we've experienced grace, then we can have peace. Can you say amen to that? I'm so thankful for the amazing grace of God. I'm thankful for the peace that I've been given. Uh, peace for dying, but also peace for living. But all of that comes because I've experienced God's gift of grace. I'm so thankful for that tonight. We also saw in verses 4 and 5 the salvation that Paul preaches. Not just his salutation, but more importantly, the salvation that he preaches. And the salvation Paul preaches is the salvation we need to preach. For he preached salvation is in Christ alone. How many believe that tonight? Folks, you need to understand and know that salvation is by faith in Christ plus nothing else. How many of you know that Jesus has done everything that needed to be done for us to be born again into the family of God? When it comes to salvation, we're not trusting in what we do or what we've done, but his finished work, what he's already done on our behalf. He did for us what we couldn't do. He lived the perfect life and then took the punishment for our sin at the cross so that we might have everlasting life through faith in him. So Paul preached salvation in Christ alone. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that salvation is in Christ. Salvation is not determined by me. If it's determined by me, if I'm saved by my good works, then I don't have much of a salvation because my salvation don't, or my good works don't measure up to much. If I'm saved by my good works or I'm kept by my good works, then I really don't have a leg to stand on because being in this flesh, being in this imperfect world, folks, I fail God daily. All of us do. We need the grace of God. Salvation is not given to us because of who we are and what we do, and it's not kept by us, who we are or what we do. True salvation is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. I'm telling you, it's a gift that we receive by faith, 
By grace through faith we are saved. And so we need to remember that. Then we look last week at the serious problem that Paul addresses in this church. And the problem that Paul addresses is the problem of legalism. And the, this doctrine of legalism was being taught by these false teachers whom he calls Judaizers. And really what they were saying was, okay, now you, it's good to trust in Jesus and you need to trust in Jesus, but then you've got to do all this other stuff. Then you've got to keep the ceremonial law. Then you've got to keep, still keep the feast days. You've got to keep the Old Testament law if you're really going to be God's children talking to these Galatians, these Gentile believers. And so Paul comes along and says, no, that's not the gospel I preached to you. The gospel I preached was in Christ alone. The gospel I preached was about the finished work of Jesus and what he's done, not what you do. And we're going to see that he gives a pretty stern warning to the church, but he also... Um, speaks pretty harshly of these false teachers that are bringing in this false doctrine as we go through the, the rest of the book. And so it's a very serious problem that he addresses then. But folks, you need to understand that that was not just a serious problem then. That's a very big problem now. And so we never want to accept a false gospel. We always want to realize salvation is in Christ. And he, he alone can save us. It's not about who we are and what we do. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand what he's saying. And we're going to dive deeper into this tonight. But you've got to see that we are not saved by what we do. But if we are truly saved, it'll change what we do. As I've told you over and over and over again, I'm going to keep telling you, good works are not the reason for salvation. But good works are certainly the result of salvation. So always keep that in mind. Never miss the whole picture that Paul is painting here. We see that serious problem, but then finally, last week we saw in verse number 10, the Savior that Paul pleases. And folks, we, we've got to make a decision, and, and this applies to us today like never before. We've got to make a decision as the blood-bought, born-again body of Christ, the church today. We've got to make a decision who we're going to please. Are we going to please Jesus? Are we going to please man? We've got to make that decision and stand for what we know to be true if we truly believe it. Paul says, I'm pleasing Jesus. I'm not um, called by man or saved by man. So I'm just going to keep pleasing the one who saved me and the one who called me. And we need to do the same thing. We've got to make a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul makes that plain in verse number 10. Now starting in verse number 11 and verse 12, um, the first point and really the only main point that I'm going to give you tonight and the rest of these verses, I'm going to give you a lot of sub points, but I'm going to give you one main point. And the main point that we need to see in verse 11 and verse 12 is Paul's authority. His authority. Look how he puts it. He really reiterates what he said in verse number 1. He goes back in verse number 11 and says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul makes it clear, my authority for which I am preaching, or by which I am preaching, it's because of Jesus. He's telling them that, Hey, listen, he was not saved by man. He was not called by man. And the gospel that he preaches 
is not a gospel that he learned of men. All of this has been revealed to him by God himself. In the New Testament, we see many different occasions where Paul gives his testimony of how the Lord did the work on the road to Damascus that only Jesus can do. And so Paul is saying to these folks, listen, it's important you know my authority for being an apostle, my authority for writing this letter, my authority for preaching how I'm preaching, it don't come by man. It hasn't come by me. It's come by God himself. It's found in Jesus. And before we go any further right there, I want us to think about why it's important that Paul makes it clear um, by whom, whose authority he is preaching this gospel that he's preaching or by whose authority that he's writing the letter that he writes. Why is it important that he lets these people know that? Well, if he's got these Judaizers, these false teachers, that's got a stronghold on the church uh, or the churches of the region of Galatia, then if that's true, then when he writes this letter, they're going to do everything they can to challenge his apostleship. They're, they're going to do everything um, they can to tear down this letter, to tear down Paul's character, to Paul, tear down Paul's preaching. So Paul wants to make sure that everybody realizes that it's God who's done the work here. And, and, and that's what he's going to do for the rest of this chapter. Paul's purpose is to tell these people by whose authority he's writing to them. And it's very important that we see that. Now, before we go any further, I just want to talk a little bit about authority because it's very important that we understand spiritual authority because that means a whole lot to us, just like it meant to Paul. Let me see if I can illustrate spiritual authority for you and me as believers who are in Jesus. Just the other day, I was leaving my work. Um, I work out Highway 278. And when I left out there headed this way, um, going back home, coming back west, when I come over the hill there at the funeral home and went down into the bottom by Pizza Hut, there was a police officer standing out in the middle of the turning lane there. He was um, directing traffic for all of the uh, young people that was crossing the road over to the ramp church. And so when I pulled up, he steps out and sticks out his hand like this. And so I see him as I'm coming off the hill. Now, when I'm coming down that hill there, not only was it me coming down, but several of the cars. And right out in front of me, there was an 18-wheeler semi. I mean, a semi-truck barreling down that hill going toward that police officer. And he stuck, sticks out his hand. And man, that 18-wheeler, that semi, stopped on a dime. I mean, it stopped. Uh, just like it was supposed to when that man stuck his hand out. Now let me ask you something. That man in his own power, would he ever really be able to stop a semi if that semi wanted to keep coming? No way. I don't care what man standing out there. If that semi wants to keep coming, then it has the power to run right through the man. It's going to be little more than a bump for the driver. I mean, a bump in the road, that's all it would be if it wanted to keep coming. I mean, it's probably weighing somewhere around 100,000 pounds traveling down the road or maybe a lot more than that. I don't know, but uh, when it's coming down through there, that one man's never going to stop it. So why did it stop? It's not because of the power of the man. It's because of the authority he has. How I mean, you know when he put on that blue uniform and that uh, semi-truck driver seen him coming down the road or seen him standing in the road, that gave that one man authority. 
when he put on that badge. That gave that one man the authority to stop whoever he wants to stop whenever he wants to stop them under the law. And he's got the law backing him up, and he's got a department backing him up. And so that gives him authority, even though he don't have the power to stop the truck. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, how many of you understand this evening that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you have spiritual authority? That's why the scripture says in the book of 1 John, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. How many of you understand tonight that Satan is much more powerful than I am? Do you know that? And Satan is much more powerful than you are. He is a spiritual being who has great power in the spiritual realm. We've already spent a month and a half, two months talking about that when we was talking about spiritual warfare. I mean, he has great power. But the good news is because we are in Christ and Christ is in us, no matter what kind of power he has, we have authority in the name of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. So that now, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Now, because of the authority I have in Christ and the authority you have in Christ, the book of James says that when we resist the devil, he has to flee. Not because we've got power, but because we have authority. Amen. Just like that police officer has authority. And Jesus... We have spiritual authority to be more than conquerors. We have spiritual authority to overcome the devil. We have spiritual authority to live out our faith in this world regardless of who or what comes against us. And I'm so thankful for that authority. Paul is wanting to prove to these uh, people in Galatia that he has authority as an apostle. And the way he does it, I love how he does it. Paul is living proof that just because you've placed trust in Jesus and given your heart to Christ, that God never called us to take our mind and put it in a drawer. Do you know that? It's good to place faith in the Lord, but you need to use the mind that God gave you. And boy, Paul does it like no one else. He really does. Really, when he's going through and writing these letters, it's almost like he's an attorney arguing his point. And he lays it out perfectly, just exactly um, how it needs to be laid out by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and also through his intellect to bring this knowledge to people in a way that they need to receive it. And that's exactly what he does here. And, and what he's going to do, he's going to take a look at his past and he's going to say, you know what? You know where I came from. You know who I was. You know what I used to be. And he's going to lead them to the conclusion and he certainly led me to the conclusion as I studied through this that it had to be God that did it. So my authority is not in me. It's not in any man. My authority comes from God because God has done the work. This is the point he's trying to prove. Now watch how he does it. I love Mark Twain. I like to read his books. I like to read his quotes. Man, he's got some good ones. And Mark Twain said that my past is the reason I'm where I'm at today. And so that's really what Paul does here, he takes us back to his past and he begins laying the groundwork for how he got to where he is now. Now, how many times have I said, we don't need to live in our past? And we don't. 
But it's good to glance back at our past and remember where the Lord's brought us from. To glance back at your past causes you to give glory to God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful I'm not what I used to be. Just like John Wesley said, I'm not where I need to be. I'm sure not where I'm going to be, but praise God, I'm not where I used to be. Amen. I'm a work in progress. Praise the Lord for that. But I'm glad I can look back and see a change. And that's what Paul does here. He's letting them know that God has done something that only God can do. So you need to listen to what I'm telling you. That's, that's what he says here. The first thing that I want you to see, and I want you to see three main points as we go, or, or excuse me, three subpoints of the main point, uh, which is Paul's authority. I want you to see these three subpoints as we go through these next few verses. In 13 and 14, watch what the Bible says. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above my, many of my equals in mine own nation, being uh, more exceedingly zealous of the, of the traditions of my father. And so what Paul brings them to remembrance of is his time of a persecutor. So that's the first thing that I want you to see, Paul the persecutor. That was certainly in his past. You remember that Paul the preacher used to be Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor. And it was only by the grace of God, only by the power of God, that he was changed to become what he is when he writes this letter. And so that's the point he's making. That's the point he's going to prove as he lays out this argument. Man, he does it in a great way. He talks about his conversation. Now, when you see conversation in the New Testament, it's not necessarily talking about what a person is saying. Now, it can be meaning that, but most of the time when you hear conversation, it's talking about your manner of life. And so that's what it's talking about here. Paul says, you know my manner of life from my past. You know who I was. You know that I was a great persecutor of the church. Now, I want to encourage you to do something. We're not going to go to all of these scriptures that I'm going to be giving you concerning Paul's past. But I think it is so awesome that the Word of God gives us great commentary on the testimony God give, or Paul gives here in the book of Acts. And so I'm going to give you several scriptures about Paul's past from the book of Acts that I want you to go back and look at in your quiet time. It'll bless your heart. You're going to see a whole exhaustive, detailed account of Paul's past in Acts 22, in Acts 26, chapter 26, and certainly in Acts chapter number 9. So you can go back and read all of that, and I'm going to give you some other specific scriptures to really prove Paul's point of what he's saying here. Paul was persecuting the church as a Jewish rabbi, and it was bringing him great profit, monetarily speaking, but also socially speaking. He said, I was rising the ranks in the religion of the Jews by what I was doing to the church. By the persecution he was bringing to the church, he was gaining a lot of money, he was gaining a lot of profit, um, Financially, but he was also gaining a lot of profit, socially speaking. He was kind of uh, climbing up the, the ladder of success in the religion of the Jews is what he's saying there. And he was being respected as a great uh, teacher of the people among the Jews. In Acts chapter number 8, in verse number 1, we began seeing all the ways that Paul persecuted the saints of the early church. In Acts 8, 1, we find out that he was consenting 
to the death of Stephen. You remember Stephen, that great man of God that the Lord was using to preach the gospel in power and do many wonderful works there in the early church in the region around Jerusalem. Well, if you remember, it was Paul who was consenting unto his death. He actually held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen as Stephen was crying out to the Lord. And I, I don't think Paul ever forgot that. Paul never got over that. I, I think that Paul remembered the great man of God, Stephen, as he was testifying to the goodness of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul held the coats of the men who stoned him. Really what Paul said was, let me have your coat so you can throw the rock harder. And so that always broke the apostle's heart. He calls himself the chiefest of sinners, and I think that's the main reason he calls himself the chiefest of sinners. Matter of fact, brother, if you will please, put for me on the screen 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 15, one of my favorite verses in all the Word of God. Listen to what it says. 1 Timothy 1 verse number 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you believe it, say amen. Now, if you're here tonight or you're listening to me over the internet and you're thinking, man, God may save a lot of people. God can't save me. Well, I've got good news for you. God came to save sinners. See, you may be thinking that you don't need saving. Well, let me tell you something. We're all sinners standing in need of a Savior. And the good news is Jesus came to save sinners. If you remember, Jesus spoke that all throughout his ministry. He said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I am the good shepherd. Do you remember that? He said, I didn't come for those who are well and healthy. I came for the sick because I'm the great physician. Jesus came to save sinners. And let me tell you something from a sinner uh, myself, just saved by the grace of God. If Jesus can save me, folks, he can save you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. The grace of God is available to you. It's available to you. God loves you. And because he's loved you, he's shown you grace. And it's by grace you can be saved. That's our message. That's Paul's message. But he goes on in the last part of this. He says, of whom I am chief. He said, I'm the chiefest. I'm the, I'm the head sinner, if you want to call him that. And I think he, he, he's saying that, folks, because of all the persecution he doled out to the early church before his conversion. The stoning of Stephen, that was in Acts 8.1. You'll find in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 3 that he was breaking up families and putting um, husbands and fathers, wives and mothers in prison because they were following the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 9.1, you'll see that he was continually breathing out threats toward the church. Acts chapter 22, you'll find that he voted that believers would, for, for believers to be killed. And so he was a great persecutor of the church. And he brings that back to their remembrance. He says, in the past, you knew who I was. I was profiting from the persecution of saints. Now, why is this such a powerful argument? Well, think about it. We find in the Bible, in Paul's own, from Paul's own testimony, in the book of Acts chapter 9, that while he was on his way to Damascus for to persecute saints, to imprison believers, while he was on his way, Jesus 
came to the Apostle Paul and radically changed his life. He went from being the foremost persecutor of the saints to being the foremost preacher to the saints. He went from being the one who hated Christianity to the one who was willing to die and ultimately did die for Christianity. Paul went from blaspheming Jesus to being persecuted for Jesus. Everything changed. Now, it's important that we ask ourselves the question, and I think that's exactly what Paul is wanting these people to ask themselves. How did he change? Why did he change? Let's think about it a minute. Did he change because the Jews wanted him to? Does that make any sense? Was, were the Jews, the Jewish religion itself, was, was, did it have any um, somebody help me out. Didn't have any, what'd you say? Incentive in changing the Apostle Paul, did it? Of course not. For him to be changed from being a Jewish rabbi who sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the greatest teacher of the Jews, and to be the Jew among Jews, like he tells us he was in the book of Philippians chapter 3, born of the seed of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, sat at the feet of Gamaliel and became a Pharisee, it would have been a great embarrassment for him to turn his back on the religion of the Jews and start worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Jews are certainly not going to uh, cause Paul to change like he changed. Let me ask you this. Would it have been the Christians of that day that would have caused Paul to change like he changed? No, because all accounts that I see in Scripture, the early Christians were scared to death of him. Now, I'm sure that they prayed for him, or at least prayed against him, because he was known as, as the persecutor. He was known as the one who was causing trouble for all the brethren. So they were certainly praying about Paul, but I don't think they were ready to welcome him in with open arms. As a matter of fact, I know they were not ready to welcome him in with open arms. So it wasn't the Christians who caused Paul to change, and it wasn't the Jews who caused Paul to change. Folks, the only right explanation that makes any sense is that what happened to the Apostle Paul was a spiritual miracle. It was only God that could do what happened to Paul. Only God. For him to be on the way to Damascus to imprison believers and then automatically, suddenly, he changes and then goes to Damascus and preaches to those same people he was coming to persecute. It's amazing. That's what happened there, though. Listen to what Dr. Warren Wiersbe said. I like this. For these Judaizers in Galatia to deny the apostleship of Paul, it would be just like denying his conversion. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be real hard to, for, for them to deny his conversion and for anybody to take them seriously. So do you see what Paul is doing? He's saying, it's God that changed me on the road to Damascus. And that same God that changed me, that saved me there, is the one who called me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. So you can trust what I'm saying. My calling is by Jesus. My calling is 
for Jesus. I'm saved by him, and I'm going to please him. That's what Paul is saying. Do you see it? So we see Paul the persecutor, but then also here in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, we see Paul the believer. Look what it says. But when it pleased God, amen, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his, everybody say reveal, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Now watch what Paul says. It pleased God to reveal to me and in me the Lord Jesus Christ. It pleased the Lord to cause me to trust in Jesus is what he's saying. Let me tell you something that I found out that we all need to find out. Do you know salvation is a work of God the Holy Spirit? A work that only God can do. Do you know that? Do you know the only way we can get revelation as to who Christ is and what Christ has done? The only way we can get that is by inspiration that comes from God the Holy Spirit. I've seen it so many times. You can preach the gospel till you're blue in the face. I'm talking about you can give your four spiritual points of the gospel that we teach here and we can, we can go through those great truths of scripture and read scripture after scripture after scripture and tell somebody how much they need Jesus and I think that has to be where it starts. If people don't see their need for a savior then why they won't be saved? If people can't get that they're a sinner, then how can they ever get that they need their sins forgiven? You can tell people that over and over and over again, but until God the Holy Spirit does his revealing work, folks will never get saved. I'm telling you, it won't happen. It can't happen. You may tell you why? Because dead men do nothing. You know the scripture teaches that we are spiritually dead. Now folks, I want to tell you, I've preached a lot of, a lot of uh, funeral sermons. A lot of funerals in my time. And you know what I've always found out about dead men? They don't do nothing. They can't. Why? Because they're dead. You said, brothers, we come all the way out here on a Wednesday night for you to tell us dead people are dead. Yes. Absolutely. You got to get a hold of that. They don't do nothing. They can't do nothing because they're dead. Spiritually speaking, we cannot come to the realization without revelation that Jesus is Savior and that we need him. We can't. That takes a work of God the Holy Spirit. 
You say, brother, you don't believe in free will? Absolutely I believe in free will. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I'm going to tell you, nobody will call on Jesus until God the Holy Spirit brings revelation to their heart. They can't. That takes a work that only God can do. And that's what Paul is saying. It pleased God to reveal his son in me, to me. That's what he's telling them. That's what he's telling us. Now let me tell you how he did it. God did it by his grace. Isn't that what it says? Look at verse 15. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me, how did he call him? By grace. How does he call you and I? By grace. Anybody that gets saved is saved by grace. That's the only way it can be. Because we just can't measure up to God's standard of perfection. So God has shown us unmerited favor. He's done for us what we couldn't do. He's done for us what we didn't deserve through the person of his son. That's grace. Jesus lived the perfect life and died the sacrificial death not for his sin, but for my sin. Why? Because of God's amazing grace. God did it. And he does it by his grace. And I'm going to tell you something. Anybody that gets saved right is saved by God. And he does it by his grace. See, listen to me, folks. I'm okay with God doing the work. Because if God does the work, the work's done right. And you ought to be okay with it too. When God does the work, he does it right because he does it by his grace. Are you getting me? God did it. He did it by his grace. Verse 16 shares with us that he did it through Jesus, watch this, verse 16, look at the first part. To reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. It's through the finished work of Christ. This revelation that comes by inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. It reveals to us who Jesus is. What he's done for us. Makes it real to us. God did it by his grace through Jesus. For what purpose? So that God might be glorified. Look down at verse number 24. And they glorified God in me. Now that brings us kind of full circle. Let me tell you what I mean by this. Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 16. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Matthew 5 verse number 16. Jesus speaking here to his followers. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You remember me telling you at the beginning of this thing that good works are not the reason for salvation but the result of salvation? 
Folks, when God has done it, the work of salvation, by His grace, through the finished work of Christ, He does it for the purpose of glorifying Himself. How does He glorify Himself? Through us. By our good works. Amen? That's why Jesus said, we let our light shine in this dark place. And we let our light shine by what? Good works. <laughs> Are you seeing it? By good works. I don't work to get saved. I work because I am saved. And as I work, I don't do it for my glory. I do it for his glory. Why? Because he's the one who changed me. Just like he changed Paul. I don't do it to please myself or to please somebody else. I do it to please him. Why? Because he's the one who saved me and he's the one who called me. Are you getting it? That's what Paul is saying. You need to see Paul the persecutor, but you need to see Paul the believer. The believer here that the truth of the gospel was revealed to him by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God did a work in Paul that only God could do. He makes that plain to these believers there so that they'll know by whose authority he's preaching this message and he's doing this work. He's letting them know God's done this. Nobody else has done it. It's God doing this. Wow, I love it. But then you need to see Paul the preacher. Paul the preacher, we see that starting there in verse number 16 and continuing through verse number 24. Look what he says. To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Paul the preacher, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So what Paul says is, when, when God did that work in me on the road to Damascus, I, I wasn't around any believers right after I got saved. That's what he's saying. Matter of fact, we know according to scripture that Paul didn't go uh, back to Jerusalem all automatically. He didn't even go to Damascus automatically. Paul went to Arabia and he spent time by himself in the word, meditating and praying and asking God to keep revealing what he wants and who he is. How do we know that? Well, we know it first of all from verse number 17. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and then returned again unto Damascus. Now, if you want some scripture to back that up from the book of Acts about Paul after his conversion going to Arabia, you'll find it in Acts 9 verses 19 through 20. He spent some time in Arabia seeking the Lord meditating on what had just happened to him, studying the word, and God began to do a work even more so in Paul. Getting him ready for what he was going to do later on in Paul. But Paul said, it wasn't because, I'm not doing this because right after I got saved, I got in with the church because the church wanted nothing to do with him. They were still scared to death of him. And so he goes out by himself into Arabia and spends some time just him and the Lord. And then after 
he had spent some time with just him and the Lord. Then he came back to Damascus, according to verse 17, and also according to Acts 9, verses 23 through 25. You're going to find then he comes back to Damascus. Now, when he gets back to Damascus, you're also going to see that it was in Damascus that the Jews got mad at him there, incited a riot, tried to kill him, and the people saved him by letting him down in a basket over the wall. So again, it wasn't the Jews that had anything to do with this change. They hated him. He was now an embarrassment to them. And the truth is, it certainly wasn't Paul that wanted that change. I mean, he went from being respected. He went from being wealthy. He went from being looked at as one of the head honchos of the Pharisees. He went from all of that to being imprisoned, whipped, beaten mocked, ridiculed, finally killed for the gospel. Again, he's driving home the point. It's God that did it. It's God that does it. Only God can do it. <laughs> Only God can do it. He went to Arabia, then he went back to Damascus. Finally, he did go to Jerusalem. Look at verses 18 through 20. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James and the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. He said, the things I'm telling you is the truth, just like it happened. I didn't seek out counsel from other believers. It's God that gave me this. It's God that's doing the work. Then he says in verse 21, Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was known by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. You need to see tonight just like they needed to see Paul the persecutor that was in his past. But praise the Lord, you need to see Paul the believer that was changed on the road to Damascus. You need to see Paul the preacher whom God called to go forth and share his message with the Gentiles. But what you need to see above everything else is that God did it. God did it. Let me ask you this. Has God done it in you? Do you know that you know you've been born again? Folks, I, I don't, I'm not asking you tonight if you're a good person. I'm not asking if you've ever been baptized. I'm not asking you if you are a member of a church. I'm not asking you if you go to Sunday school or pay your tithes. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But none of those things save you. None of those things save you. What I'm asking you is God the Holy Spirit convicted your heart let you know that you need a Savior. Has there ever been a time that you trusted fully in the finished work of Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? Have you surrendered to Jesus as Lord of your life? That's what I'm asking. If you've not done that, then God hasn't done it. This is Paul's message. Salvation is in Christ alone. Amen. His authority came by Jesus.
for Jesus. Anybody got anything else, comments or questions?